week two of this early NBA season. Thank you guys for joining. Me and Enoch are back to bring you an episode where we talk about the Clippers and Sixers trade involving James Harden. We talk about some of our surprising underdog teams. Then we move on to the blue ball teams. Teams that kind of disappoint us. Of course, we talk about the Kings. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Full Court Press. Brought to you by your host Enoch and Angus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're going to get back into it. Week two of the NBA season. Uh, we've seen a lot of things, but the most notable thing that's happened um, is definitely the James Harden trade. James Harden is finally out of Philly. Man, he went on a complete press run in China, tearing down Daryl Morey's name. And a lot of stories came out about that, man. And then Daryl Morey releasing to the press that he has a freaking image of James Harden in his in his mansion. And I thought that was one of the weirdest things that Daryl Morey has ever said. Like, this man loved James Harden so much. Can you imagine how hard it was for him to trade him? No, they definitely had um, some weird relationship, but... Definitely had a fallout as well. Uh, do you even about the Harden shit? Like, I feel like he, in some way, there is probably some truth to his story. Like, I think mm-hmm. he gets he gets like a bad rep um, just for like the last couple seasons. But probably some shit went down where Maury promised him something. Uh, like he did mm-hmm. turn down what was it twenty six million dollars to stay with the Sixers, and. Yeah. If he was promised something and Maury, you know, like I heard ghosted him, you know, and you give up $26 million and then the person just like takes back his word, like I would be pissed too. So, no, I, I, I get it from what I understand. I mean, I'm sure they can't say everything because it definitely violates like free agency rules, especially what happened to the Sixers last year. They lost a second round pick because they signed PJ Tucker and Daniel House too early because of like early negotiations. But I definitely do think that Daryl Morey promised Harden that he was going to get a long-term contract to stay in Philly. Yeah. And if they weren't going to able to come to a terms with something, that uh, Morey was going to give Harden a trade to wherever he wanted. And I think the the latter did happen. Like, we all know that Harden wanted to go to Clippers, and at least Morey honored that. But, like, you have to remember that Harden is a player that Daryl Morey has a career because of. Like, uh, when, when Daryl Morey was a GM for the Rockets, James Harden was his first big time trade and he landed the Rockets, their their franchise star after Yao Ming retired and Trace McGrady went down with injuries. James Harden made Daryl Morey's career. Yeah. This and Clippers like, team for the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was about to mention the Clippers too. For the Clippers team, does to you, does this kind of like smell kind of desperate to you? Like how do you feel about this trade? Well, I think it's a, it's when you get an opportunity to get James Harden He's not super old yet, and he still mm-hmm. led the lead in assists last year. So I think this this makes them better. This makes their ceiling better. I think the biggest thing, uh, and we wanted to get into some pluses and minuses of the trade. I think one of the pluses is uh, they didn't have to give up Norman Powell or Terrence Mann, and that's mm-hmm. huge. Two players that they wanted. Two players yeah. that they did not want to include in the trade. Giving up two first-round picks, but one of them wasn't even theirs. So, yeah, you're giving up a lot, but you didn't. You get to keep key bench players and you're going to need them especially when you have three of your stars that are just known for being out um Mm -hmm. but with with Harden another another plus I want to bring up PJ Tucker in the trade yes yes I completely agree 
PJ PJ Tucker brings them a lot of lineup versatility. They can do a lot more with uh, small ball lineups, putting PJ Tucker at the five. PJ Tucker at the five, and they also have two of the best wing defenders in the league in Kawhi and PG. So their defense is going to be really interesting to see. Um, I think their worst defender is going to be Harden when he plays. So, um, yeah, this this team is a mashup of the 2019-2020 Rockets and Clippers team. But that point you touched about PJ Tucker being kind of a sneaky ad, I think I completely agree with that. Because um, the Clippers, they were known to run a super small uh, small ball lineup when Zubox is on the bench. They run with Marcus Morris or Robert Covington at the five. And that didn't always work because Marcus Morris would always hijack the offense and didn't play his role. And Covington is not that strong of a three-point shooter anymore. And you slide PJ Tucker into that position. And also, with P.J. Tucker there, you don't have to rely on Kawhi defending the best player every night because P.J. Tucker always takes that responsibility and you can put Kawhi on maybe like the second or third best player. And that's, that definitely could help Kawhi preserve some of his stamina and remain healthy for the rest of the season. Definitely. Any other um, benefits or pluses that you think come along to this trade? Not, not even just um, on the Clippers side, but maybe on the Sixers side as well. Yeah, I think that, I mean, getting rid of someone that doesn't want to be there is addition by subtraction for any team. Yeah. And, I mean, you see the Sixers, Tyrese Maxey is flourishing. He's yep. he's having a hot start to the season. Tobias Harris is playing great. Kelly yep. Oubre is playing great. Joel Embiid is still a defending MVP. And I think that the gains to Maxey's game is going to be great because now that they don't have this Harden's contract to worry about, they can probably extend Tyrese Maxey this offseason uh, for the number that they can both agree on. And not to mention, they did get an extra first-round pick for from this trade, the Sixers did, and they got a lot of expiring contracts with Nick Batum's contract, Covington's contract, and Marcus Morris' contract, and they can definitely go big-game fishing right now. And, like, hot take, I think that, I think Zach Levine's on their radar. I think they're gonna they're gonna make a big time splash trade for Zach Levine. Whoa, that would be really <laughs> that would be insane if Levine was on the Sixers. Uh, yeah, but for sure the biggest thing is be, letting Maxi become the primary ball handler. Um, Harden was great for Embiid. Let's not get that wrong, but Maxi really pushes their pace. Twenty six points mm-hmm. a game to start the season. And I, I think it's going to stay around there for the rest of the season. You know, he had a couple 30-point games uh, to start the season. Um, and he's going to have that continuously, I promise you. So, And Nick Nurse, I, do you hear the way that Nick Nurse talks about Maxi? The, the other night when they beat, yesterday when they beat the Suns, um, Nurse was saying that Tyrese Maxi had to finish with a great game, but he, he got to come out more aggressive in the first half because he knows he can do better. Like, Nurse is definitely a coach that likes Tyrese Maxey and thinks that Tyrese Maxey is going to be the engine that pushes this team to, like, a conference finals appearance. And, like, Nurse, I, I believe in his coaching ability because he turned Fred Van Vliet into an all-star. He extended Kyle Lowry's career. That that guy can coach. Yeah, and, and what about the uh, Oklahoma City kind of sneaking their way into this trade? I kind of looked into that. I There's a couple... Uh, pick swaps but how does that really benefit the thunder the thunder i'm not really sure how that benefits the thunder i just think that they got a better pick swap i think the clippers and sixers so the thunder owns the clippers pick i think they have some sort of negotiation so that way the thunder can choose the best pick out of the pick swap 
Like if all three teams, the Clippers, Thunder, and Sixers all have a pick swap involving each team, the the Thunder will get the best pick out of those three. That's basically what it, what it means. Clippers so get, I mean, the Thunder confusing. get priority. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, dumb. I don't know how the Thunder just sneak their way into every single trade. Yeah. But, but that's um, what Sam Presti does. Any worries about this this trade? Um, I think yeah, I, obviously, yeah, yeah, you go. Yeah, I think that there's always a worry when you trade for James Harden. Like, yeah, I mean, but he is in a contract year. He's gonna play for his next contract. But the Clippers were a great team coming. I mean, to begin the season, they had one of the league's best defenses while having a top ten offense. And that was with Russell Westbrook actually playing his role. And I thought he's been great to start the season. But now, I mean, you have James Harden who's going to be the primary ball handler. Does this disrupt the chemistry that they already built? Yeah. PG's having a great start to the season. Great start. Very reminiscent of... We haven't seen this type of PG play in a very long time. So it's really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The Clippers are fourth in defensive rating and... I mean, sorry, fifth in defensive rating and fourth in offensive rating, and they're five and sorry, three and two. They're playing really good. It's it's kind of worrisome when you got a guy that's saying, "I'm not a system player. I am a system," and he's coming into a team that's already playing great. And mm-hmm. I just my biggest worry is that the play of Paul George will get minimized because uh, Harden is there. I feel like Harden, if, unless he takes that third option role, then this team will get worse because he's just not better than Paul George and Kawhi. So if you take away shots from them to give, you know, Harden more time to run the pick and roll and slow down the offense, I'm not saying that's not a good thing, but when the ball's not in Paul George's hands or Kawhi's hands, it's like, man, I hope it does. I just hope it doesn't make them stagnant or it's going to be interesting to see. I kind of, I kind of wonder What's going to happen with that? I, my biggest wonder, though, is what's what it's going to look like when Harden and Russell Westbrook are playing together. I mean, they, they played together in 2019-2020 season when they were on the Rockets. And like, yeah, but it's it so different now. for them to adjust. But, but they did find tremendous success once they traded Clint Capella and let P.J. Tucker become the starting center. Hmm. And that, at that, that same exact lineup, think about what they did in t- 2020. Like, now they have way more talent around those two players. They have Kawhi and Paul George on the wing instead of Daniel House and Eric Gordon. That's a tremendous upgrade. And that team, that team still made it to the second round. They just they just fell to a Lakers team that was just simply better than them in 2020. But I, I, I definitely do have more questions than I do have hopes for this team, like you said. Yeah, I mean, they, they're, really, they're a really good team. Um Last year in the playoffs, everyone kind of forgot who they were, and all of a sudden they're like, "Man, this team could actually win the whole thing." So, because Kawhi turned on that mode, yeah. Kawhi turned on that mode that he can turn on in the playoffs, and he nearly single-handedly carried the Suns. I mean, carried the Clippers against the Suns with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant by himself until he got injured. And I'm I'm certain that if he were to play every game in that series, then the Clippers would have advanced. Definitely. It's yeah. Uh, the Sixers play tomorrow. Um, I don't know who against. Yeah. So tomorrow the Sixers will be playing against. 
Well, actually, Harden is making his debut tomorrow against the Knicks, but the Sixers tomorrow they're going to be playing. Oh, I'm tripping. They already yeah. been playing. <laughs> they already been playing without Harden anyway, so I don't think that really matters too much. But, but they're playing against the Wizards, a bunch of nobodies. Yes, I'm tripping. I thought he was. I'm. I don't know. I'm fucking. Tripping. <laughs> but it's all good. It's all good. We don't want James. We don't want to talk about James Harden anymore. This guy has been a walking storyline ever since. Ever since his uh rocket days. But yeah, the Clippers playing against the Knicks tomorrow at 4:30. Um, one thing that Harden could really attribute besides his passing and playmaking to this team, if he can just learn to hit standstill catch and shoot threes. Not learn, because I know he can fucking do it, but just do it. Like, if he, he's one of the greatest shooters in the league, why can't he just stand in the corner sometimes and just hit a corner three? You know what I mean? Like, does it always have to be a tween-tween step-back three? Why can't I just be a catch-and-shoot three sometimes? Like, it's still three points. And when you have two ball, like, dominant guys like Paul George and Kawhi, when they're on an island with a defender, you want to let them work. And Harden could benefit greatly by literally just standing there and shooting a corner three, it's so. I I hope I I hope he get he starts doing that more than um, um, you know creating. But it's it's obviously that's not gonna happen. Man, I remember when that trade happened. It was like around midnight. Definitely surprised me. But definitely. But speaking of midnight, our time and Woj dropped the fucking bomb. In New mm-hmm. York at 3 a.m. That boy is dedicated. And he went to sleep straight after. No one knew the details until the next morning. <laughs> Which, And that kind of leads us to our next segment. Speaking of surprises, like, we're still very early into the season, but I've definitely seen a lot of things that surprised me so far. So this, this segment, I'm just going to name it our underdog segment. What are like some that. of the more surprising, surprising things that you noticed so far? in the season well we talked about two of them um i really wanted to talk about paul george but we already talked about paul george a little bit um but yeah he's playing amazing averaging 29 points a game uh two and a half steals uh four three-pointers five rebounds a game and and four rebounds he just looks very comfortable and if he can stay healthy, that's like the only thing that can stop this Clippers team from being good all season long. And I think obviously the thing they care about most is uh, health during the playoffs because that's when it mm-hmm. matters. But man, this team is scary. Like I think if, if they if they keep playing like this and if Harden makes them better, like you're you're talking about a team that can actually compete with the Nuggets, actually compete with them. And I I think so too. They did show that they can compete with the nuggets yeah and then another one i want to talk about was was maxi um like we, we i already kind of talked about his stats but bro is really picking i think people was like oh he got so much better i've been watching tyrese maxi for a couple years now and I, i'm not sure if he got better bro i'm just i just think he's getting more shots obviously he's learning the game more he's developing pace he's learning how to play in the half court better but and yeah, that is being better, but skill-wise, he has always been a dog. So I'm glad he's finally getting his 18 shots a game, being the second option behind Joel Embiid, and it's just great to see. I love it. I love Tyrese Maxey. What yeah, about what about you? Playing, well, yeah, to go back on your Maxey point, I think he's playing at the pace that he needs to mm-hmm. be successful in. Like He's playing a lot more in transition. Yeah. Uh, he's initiating a lot more pick and roll, and the ball's in his hands a lot more, mm-hmm. and... 
the Pacers, I mean, not the Pacers, the Sixers are going at a crazy pace that they, they didn't go at when Harden was there. And in last year when Harden was out, we saw the Sixers do the same exact thing, and they were very successful in that. Yeah. But it was so me, boring to watch. Have, yeah. But for me, I got a couple of underdogs. I mean, these are serious underdogs that I don't think anyone is going to care about. But number one right now is for me is Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks <laughs> has been a huge surprise for me. I thought that him going to Houston was just, you know, just like how a couple of years back, um, like veteran players would go to Sacramento and then their careers would die as a king. I thought the same thing was going to happen to Dylan Brooks. But Dylan Brooks is showing that he's still a productive player in the NBA. And the fact that he was written off by the Grizzlies, like he was someone that can't contribute to them this yeah. season. Yeah. It's, it's, it, he's proven them wrong. Like last night, the, the Rockets played against the Kings, and Dylan Brooks shot 26 points and eight rebounds, and he had two or four three-pointers. And on the season, through five games, he's shooting 60% from the field, 60% from three, 93% from the free throw line, while averaging career highs and rebounding and point. I mean, not career high in points, but efficiency while scoring 17 points per game and 1.6 deals. This is the best version of Dylan Brooks we've seen. And he's showing that he's still an asset in this league and that all the stuff that happened in playoffs was just noise that just that he did to himself, truthfully. Like all that talking and trash talking to LeBron James and uh whoever else he was talking to, like that just distracted from the fact that he can Everybody. still play in the league. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we love to talk about Dylan Brooks in this podcast because he's animated and he's, you know, loud and loves to talk shit and we love that shit too. Uh I've never I've never said that Dylan Brooks was a bad player. I always knew he was a good player. Um it's just sometimes he's, some, he's definitely a pest. He's, he's a, a pest, pest and he's one of those players like a Pat Bev that you just don't like, but he's actually a good player. Uh we, I think we talked about it like a, a couple podcasts ago. I said that he's he's a better player. He's a better offensive player than Draymond. It's not even a question. So mm-hmm. you saw you saw his FIBA play, played great in FIBA. I think they got like third place. Thirty nine points on Team USA. Yeah, thirty nine points on. He beat Team USA to get that third place. He can play. He can play. He can shoot. He plays defense. He's aggressive and he's not afraid of contact. So yeah, I mean, he can play. Anybody else that you think uh, or any player or any any other teams? I got I got a couple. Yeah. I think another team that definitely surprised me was the Mavericks. Mm. I mean, I saw that they only had Luca and Kyrie and then a bunch of role players that honestly didn't earn second contracts on a team that were staying with. It seemed like kind of like the Suns. I felt like during the offseason, the Suns got a bunch of players, but no one knew how much they can contribute. And that's how I felt about the Mavericks. But Luka Doncic is absolutely carrying this team, nearly averaging a triple-double, while Kyrie is only averaging 20 points per game which is kind of low, especially because he's the definite number two, and but he's only played three games. I'm sure his scoring will pick up, but I'm surprised with how well they work together. Granted, they still kind of take turns on offense, Yeah. but I think I think their biggest offseason acquisition in Grant Williams is showing to be a great pickup because this yeah, guy cannot great. miss from three. He's shooting great. Cannot right miss now. from three, and this is the most involved I've ever seen Grant Williams involved in offense. He's initiating handoffs. They're giving him post-ups for him to make decisions out of. And Derek Jones Jr. was also a good pickup because I I did not imagine him shooting over four threes a game and making 36% of them. And, you know, he's super long, super athletic. He's going to be able to play defense. And But this team's defense hasn't improved too much 
but their pace has. Their pace is now 15th in the league compared to their league, uh, the last in the league pace that they were playing at last year. But they're still only 23rd in defensive rating, but second in offensive rating. Yeah, um, yeah, another player, their rookie, Derek Lively. He's playing. Lively. He's, he's a very promising young player and a guy that you could definitely see in their future playing alongside Luca as a lob threat. Uh, losing mm-hmm. Christian Wood, one of their tallest players, and then getting another guy that can really just be live at the rim, super important. Yeah. And he looks very confident. So something to, something to watch um, for the Mavericks. I do I do yeah, want to ask you though. Uh, yeah. I was thinking I was thinking this. Yeah, so far, you know, the Mavericks have had success. They're four and one, um, but I think a lot of it attributes to Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is going crazy this season, playing insane. Uh, I, I I watched the game against the the Grizzlies, and oh my god, this man is is just shooting basically half court shots like six seconds into the into the shot clock and just making it, like. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of you just feel bad for the team. He'll go on these nine point, twelve point runs by himself and just put the game away in the second quarter. It's yep. he can do that by himself. There's not a yep, lot of players himself. that can do that right now. He's but, he's an MVP level player. And I just think that him playing in FIBA definitely helped this. You could tell this is probably the best shape he's ever been in to begin a, a season. He looks he looks like he's not gassed by the second quarter. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I probably picked the wrong game to watch him. I watched him in the uh, the in season tournament game against the Nuggets, and man, that team can the Mavericks cannot defend. But in that yeah. game, Luca looked a little bit slow to me. But they were playing in Denver, so I I, I can just toss that away. They were playing <laughs> against the defending champions, and that was their first loss of the season. But yeah, yeah. everything you said, I think, is absolutely correct. Luca's having a hot start to the season. But, but my question, um, my question was, yeah, do you think? I think that they can maybe get, maybe another uh, wing, or big man. For Kyrie Irving, that would maybe mm-hmm. make their team a little bit more fluid on the offensive side of the ball, and definitely better defensively as well. Because so you, if you're getting, so forward, you're suggesting that the Mavericks are going to trade Kyrie Irving? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm I'm wondering if that's a better move because I, as much as I love Kyrie and as much as I hate mm-hmm. to admit that he might be holding this team back, it is hard. Like you said, they're taking turns. It's like, man, like, yeah, that's cool and all when you're scoring, but what happens if you're missing? You're not getting any of your teammates involved. You're, it's just, you know, guys will go six, seven possessions without touching the ball. And when you have a guy that, Luca doesn't have to share the ball with and just just can play within the flow of the offense. I just think that maybe run, it could be and run the offense. Better. Yeah. Yes. So we ha- you have a Woj bombs? Well, I have a freaking Wong bomb for you. All right. <laughs> I think I think that the <laughs> Lakers signed D'Angelo Russell to that tradable contract so that way they can trade for Kyrie Irving. LeBron James wants Kyrie Irving on the Lakers and he's gonna get what he wants. I think mm. midseason trade is going to end up being is going to be D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, and then whatever players to match salaries to get Kyrie Irving on the Lakers. Luca is going to play with D'Lo. Jared Vanderbilt is going to help on that defensive end and also be that you know Swiss Army knife defender. D'Angelo Russell, who's way better playing off ball than Kyrie Irving, mm. and that's going to 
that's going to complete the Mavericks team. That that's what do you think about that? I like that a little bit, but I just feel like they could get a little bit more value for Kyrie Irving than D'Angelo Russell and Vanderbilt. Plus, Lively plays kind of the similar role that Vanderbilt would be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I that's interesting when it comes to Kyrie becoming a Laker. That's very interesting. But just the return that you get for Kyrie in that situation, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. So, so you're saying the Mavs say no? I would say I say the Mavs want to do that. No, yeah. All right. I have another one. I for just you, hope though. this this Wong bomb will age. All right. Hit, hit me with your best shot. So I have two real quick ones. My first one is uh, going to be Chet Holmgren on the Oklahoma oh. City Thunder. Defensively, As your surprise this, underdog. Yeah, this defensively, this guy has everything that he was was hyped up to be. Two point three blocks to start the season under with like six games under his belt, six seven games under his belt. Um, averaging 17 points, one steal, seven rebounds a game, two three-pointers a game in 29 minutes a game. This guy is like a legitimate, actual rotational player that can play on any team at this point. And when it comes to the Thunder, they're <laughs> Mark Dagnall is, is a great fucking coach. Mm-hmm. And the way they set screens with their guards and interchange everything, they're inside and outside, their guards are inside, their their bigs are outside, the way they can play with each other, and the way Chet Holmgren just fit, fits in, um, it's just, it's really cool, very, very exciting to see the future of this Oklahoma City Thunder team. Um, the reason I say Chet and not Victor, Victor's been playing great. Chet looks just a little bit, and maybe you could attribute this to him technically being a second-year guy. Just looks mm-hmm. a little bit more confident. I feel confident and um, just yeah, more just confident. And and um, damn, I don't even I can't even speak English, bro. But yeah, he just looks more confident um, and composed. That's what I was trying to say. And composed throughout the season, just knows more decisive with his decisions, uh, hitting shots. And just within the flow of the offense, I think um, Victor is more of a go-do-it-yourself um, or catch-and-shoot threes. But Chef Holmgren is, is very much like playing um, within this flow of the offense and helping them win. And then my other one, yeah. which I wanted you – sorry, if you have anything to say about that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Thunder fans were saying that Chet Holmgren was going to be the missing piece – and you could see what he could add last year. You know, this Thunder running most of the season without a big man. Jalen Williams was playing the four, and then other Jalen Williams was playing the five. Just an yeah. overall very small team. But now yeah. they have a prototypical center that's that's perfect for the modern NBA. A perfect. player that can super long, can take big men off the dribble, is an absolute mismatch, can shoot threes, and can protect the rim. That's perfect. everything a team needs. Yeah, perfect for their team. Especially mm-hmm. because the way they play, and and like I said, how they have the bigs on the outside and the the guys guards setting screens, and it just opens up, and everyone's flowing within the offense. Everyone's talking about, oh, Chet's too small; he needs to put on some weight, bro. He's a guard; he's literally guard, and he's averaging two and a half blocks a game. So as a yeah. help side defender, you're you he is already one of the best in the league as a help side defender because I you I think you can expect around two blocks a game from this guy from this from here on out. And he's averaging 17 points a game with good field goal percentage. And the Thunder is winning. And he's not even their best player. Shea Gojus Alexander, Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams are all ahead of this guy. And this guy's still averaging 17 points a game. 
it's just it's really yeah it's really promising and okay so one last thing before we move on to your last surprising thing like for chet i think his greatest attribute besides his length is that he just doesn't give up mm-hmm. he he doesn't give up on any play and even though he might he, he might get beat by some of those bigger players like Jokic, and everybody gets beat by Jokic because he's yeah. the best player in the league. Like, I certainly don't blame that game on Chet. But his ability to stay in the play even after getting beaten is what, what makes him great. I mean, I've heard it. I've heard him being compared to Kevin Garnett, and I, I see it. I see the ability to take people off the, off the dribble, his ability <laughs> to shoot, and his tenacity, and then his ability to just just block shots and be a great rim protector. And like me and Enoch, we go way back on Chet Holmgren. I hated on Chet Holmgren because I just thought he was too skinny and was going to get bullied in the league. But he shows that if you have the heart to fight against those bigger players, then you can, you definitely have a place in the league. I tried to tell you he was a dog, bro. Back in his circuit days, he he was a dog. You could just tell he had that fire in him. And when you're that size and you have those defensive instincts and you can shoot the three, it doesn't matter. Like, you're going to play on any team. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, my last Dark Horse uh, kind of last surprising pick. Uh, I want you. I want, I want. to know your opinion on this. But um, we talk about how dominant the Nuggets are and how they are the team to beat this year. They look the best. Um, yeah. Besides maybe, like, the Celtics. But they have one loss. And that one loss... Is to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are sitting at the very top of the league in defensive rating. Mm-hmm. You think about this team, maybe this is the year they finally figure it out. Cat takes a step back for real. Gobert, still one of the best defensive players in the league, and you have two seven-footers and a Jaden McDaniels, with a, who's basically seven-foot, as your three, four, and five. It's going to be really hard to score on them. Think about the teams that are favored to make the finals this year the the 76ers the milwaukee bucks um the denver nuggets the bucks you can definitely create a wall with the players that the timberwolves had against Giannis. Mm-hmm. you can definitely create a wall with the players you have for a player to get to to go against Jokic. and this team i think how great they can be this season really rest on the shoulders of Anthony Edwards because if they have the defensive side figured out, they're sitting like in the middle of the pack on the offensive side of the league, uh, I think 13th in offensive rating. If they can, if Anthony Edwards can just lead them to be, to just be better than average, sit at maybe top 10 in the league in offensive rating, this team could be a really good team and someone you have to really consider when you match them, match up with them in the playoffs. I do agree that they there are a great team. Like I certainly think that they underperformed last season, and they got way better when they played Mike Con- when they had Mike Conley. Definitely. But when they played against the Nuggets in the first round last year, like even though the series ended up being a gentleman sweep four one, a lot of those games were close. Yeah, and they were close because the Timberwolves and they were fighting the and shit. did with Nuggets. Yeah, they they were fighting and they didn't have Jaden McDaniels either. Yep, and I mean on the on. On the defensive side, any team that has Rudy Gobert, Jaden McDaniels, and then a willing defender that's super athletic like Anthony Edwards, I feel like they're always going to be on the top in defense. But for offense, that's that's where my biggest problems lie. Like, Cat yeah. can shoot threes, but this is a guy that was averaging 27 and 12 before Rudy Gobert. 
Like he can do way more than shoot threes, but I, with the addition of Rudy Gobert, are we are we limiting what Anthony? I mean, what Carl Anthony Towns can do for this team? Definitely, definitely. Because he needs the paint clear. Because you know he's one of those very skilled bigs that can take guys off the dribble, can step back and hit a three, and he needs space to operate. He's kind of like uh like 2015, 2016 DeMarcus Cousins in that regard, but just way more polished and way more athleticism to his game. He's a very good post player, uh, which which is hard because you can't like his best attribute besides shooting is his post play. So if mm-hmm. that's his best way of scoring, and you already have Gobert standing there doing jack shit and can't stand in the corner because he can't shoot for shit either, then it's it's very hard. Yes, you're definitely limiting his play on the. Um, you're definitely limiting him, and if you can get maybe a four that can that won't sacrifice defense because you are losing a seven footer on on in your front court who's not your center, which is always going to help you on the defensive side, if you can maybe still get that height, but maybe get someone who is more of a four mm-hmm. instead of a, a five that's trying to play the four, then if you can get someone like that for Carl Anthony Towns, I think you do it. You know, like, like I, I don't even know who it would be, but like maybe like a, like a Julius Randle, cat for Julius Randle. That would be like the perfect fit. For that's that's actually crazy. That's a crazy trade because I know the Knicks fans, they do not like Julius Randle right now. Mm. And now that, that's a really good trade, I feel, because Julius Randle, Julius Randle plays with Mitchell Robinson and they made it to the second round of the playoffs. He can definitely play with Rudy Gobert. Would that make both teams better, though? Would the Knicks get better if they get Cat? I think I think the Knicks get way better if they have Carlton Towns. I think so, too. <laughs> I think so, too. Because... Because I I think that with all this talk behind Cat and then his kind of goofy interviews, we kind of fail to forget that Carlton Towns is a legitimate top fifteen talent in the league. He averaged twenty five and twelve, and four assists and two blocks, and he can shoot threes. He's extremely efficient, but I just feel like we're underrating his talent nowadays. Damn, bro, I pulled that out my ass, and it kind of sounds like realistic now. Yeah, it's no, it's realistic. That was like a trade I was thinking about dropping as a Wong bomb, but I, I guess you got to come <laughs> with the name for your for your bombs. <laughs> bro, I love Wong bomb, bro. But yeah, I mean, on the Knicks side, all of a sudden you're you're getting a guy that is a five instead of a four that plays on the perimeter, like a Julius Randle. So you're fixing both problems because now J- Jalen Brunson, who can actually become the guy, and he can give it mm-hmm. off. The pick and roll between, or the pick and pop especially between Cat and Jalen Brunson would be crazy, and I, I think you get maybe slightly better, and you have a taller guy. You basically have a taller Julius Randle. Yeah, but that's that's not going to give up on the team. It's going to have better body language. Yeah, and doesn't hijack the offense because Julius Randle. I don't know what the hell he does sometimes. But I think, but Julius Randle becomes a better player when you put him on the the Timberwolves. He has he mm-hmm. he's not the biggest guy. He has a he has a better player, a better center in Rudy Gobert as his front court mate, and and his the best player is Anthony Edwards, who plays they play aggressive. Both of those guys play very physical, so that that could be a a really good duo. I love yeah, I that you idea. Accident, you accidentally created a super team. Like this was completely improv, right? Yeah, I did, I did not think of that before. No. All right, so that that was our underdog segment. But now we gotta go to the other side, you know, just just some teams that kind of pumped us up before the before the season started. But ultimately, we got some we got let down by them, aka some blue balls. So, what are some of your 
some of your blue balls that you're getting from from this season so far? Um, a blue ball team, definitely. The only team that hasn't won a single game in the season thus far in the Memphis mm. Grizzlies. And this is a team. I have them as one of mine too. Yeah, and it has to be right. It's this. Mm-hmm. This is a team that is is finished like top six in playoffs every single year in the last like two three years, and now they haven't even won a game, and it's not looking good. Like it's like they're getting blown out. They have the worst offensive rating in the league at one hundred and two, and they're getting blown out. And it's like you don't they lost see to the Wizards. Yeah, <laughs> it's bad and. You, you just don't see anything looking up for them. They lost two rotational players in Tyus Jones and Dylan Brooks, who as much as you know, we talk about Dylan Brooks, he's a good player. You lose that guy. You lose a guy that can help Desmond Bain. You lose John Morant for 25 games. Steven Adams goes down again. You don't you, you, you don't have Santi Aldama. David Roddy becomes like your sixth man. Like This team is not deep anymore, and it used to be really deep. But they lose two guys. They bring in one guy in Marcus Smart, and they and they don't have John Morant. So it's like you lose three guys, and you only bring in one guy in Marcus Smart, who isn't really that good. You got to think that the Celtics kind of knew what they were doing when they let him go. Mm-hmm. Derek White is playing way better now that Marcus Smart is gone. Yeah, I I, I mean for the Grizzlies, like we kind of underestimate how important Dylan Brooks was for her culture. Culture. I mean, it's kind of yeah. like when. When their king, when the Kings lost Iman Shepard, they kind of lost their swagger. Yeah. Like we don't see the Grizzlies doing their, you know, even though it got pretty annoying, the pregame dance when everyone was just walking out together. That type of team chemistry is important. Yeah, and we're also finding a lot out about Jaron Jackson Jr. without John Morant. Mm-hmm. We're finding out that this guy is not ready to take that next step to be even the second best player on the team. Because when you're the second best player on the team, you have to be ready to become the first best player at any given moment. And he's showing that he can't do that. He's getting out remounted by the wings on his team. He he's getting bullied by centers. He's great as a rim protector, but for him to play center full time, that's that's not viable in my opinion. But Desmond Bain has been off to a great start to begin the season. Yeah, I was just gonna say but, that. I mean, but it has to be by necessity. Where else are you getting offense from? Steven yeah. Adams was important to their offense because offensive rebounds, he was the league's leader in offensive rebounds, which generate a lot of open shots. And he also set great screens, and he was a set, uh, like a hub of their offense for them to run handoffs with. You're losing a screen setter, you're losing an off-ball player, and you're losing the offensive rebounding opportunities that you get with Steven Adams. That's three, that's three sources of offense that you're losing. Do they still have and Brandon Marcus, Clark? Brandon Clark's out too. <laughs> Brandon Damn. Clark towards Achilles last season. Wow. Oh yeah, I remember. It's just a combination of a lot of changes along with injuries that like are reason why the Grizzlies are blue balling me hard right now. Yeah. And it's just yeah, it's crazy. Um it's I, I'm glad we agree with that though. Yeah, what's what's yours? What's your what's another one? That's that's just obvious. Everyone knows that right now. They're they're yeah. 0 and six. Yeah, for me, this is a player that uh, that was on a team that just beat the Grizzlies in the in-season tournament. And it's Scoot Henderson. Scoot Henderson wasn't playing that game, but Scoot has been extremely disappointing for me. Yeah. And it's not even just the numbers, and like not even regarding his draft pick, but it's the fact that he's not doing the things that we saw him doing in G League Ignite. Like with the G League Ignite, we saw him be the super downhill, explosive player that can get to ruin everyone, and, and then he will pull up for a mid-range if the defense was sagging off. But he, it seems like he's shooting way more threes, and he doesn't 
he seems like he's afraid to attack the rim. And like for rookies like that, attacking the rim is so important, even though they might not get all the fouls called, but he has to be able to get to the free throw line. That's how you extend your career. That's how you, that's how a lot of players have like made their living, just getting to the free throw line from attacking the rim. I mean, here are some discouraging figures for, for Scoot Henderson. He's averaging not even 10% on three-pointers. He's averaging 9.5% on three-pointers, 34% overall. And he, he shoots 10 shots a game, but four of these shots are threes. Four of them. He sh- like Nobody expected him to be a good shooter in his rookie season. So for him to be shooting four threes a game, that's either his coaching or he just doesn't have the confidence. And like when I watch the Trailblazers play, he gets lost on offense and defense, and then he gives up silly and one fouls too. It just—it's like it's a completely different player. We're seeing kind of Markel Fultz 2.0 happening right now. Yeah, I will say one thing about Scoot: he looks small. Like he just looks smaller mm-hmm. on the NBA mm-hmm. court, and I think that has so much. Like this is the first time he's playing in the league where. There's not just one seven footer as a center. Like everybody from, like you say, you're playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like you're the, you're the shortest guy on the floor is six five, and if you're yeah. if you're Scoot Henderson, and your main gig is getting to the basket, and you're six two six three, it's it's definitely an adjustment period. There, he has to. This has just got to be an adjustment period for him. So shooting the ball seems a lot more uh, friendly. So, but when the shot's not falling, it's it's even harder to get to the basket. So, it's disappointing. He he reminds me of Davion, bro. I, I hate to say that. Yeah, bro. I was about to say that. I was about to say Davion because, like, we saw Davion. He looks like this super athlete, super ripped, huge. But then when they're actually on an NBA court with other NBA-sized players, they look like the smallest guy on the court. Yeah. Yeah. That's and a good I, one. like, I have to double back on this, but... Last thing before we move on, I think Scoots can benefit a lot from working out with Trey Young. <laughs> you hear what? me? I'm giving I'm giving Trey Young Trey Young props. I think that if Scoot Henderson works out with Trey Young, he's going to be able to get to the basket easily. He's going to be able to understand how NBA offenses work, mm. and then how to be an undersized guard in this league and not be bullied. You don't think Simons could could teach him a couple things about that? Well, Simons is a perimeter player. He's playing with a lot of perimeter players. Shaden Sharp's a perimeter player. And I think one thing, one underrated part of the Trailblazers that are making that makes Scoot Henderson looks bad is the fact that the backup point guard, Malcolm Brogdon, is playing so great to begin the season. I mean, yeah, he's he's a good player. <laughs> yeah, he's a good player. Yeah. And uh I mean it looks like right now, whenever the play I mean, Scoot Scoot's been out, but Malcolm Brogdon's been in. I believe they won both games with him. In. They won three in a row, but that's what we the talked about. Won three in a row. That's what we talked about before, dude. Like, is this a team that wants to win, or is this a team that wants to develop develop Scoot? And it's early still, so this stuff is gonna happen. He's gonna have bad games, mm-hmm. dude. Are they losing hope? Is that what you're feeling? I'm not worried at all because I do think that point guards in the NBA take a longer time to adjust. Especially point guards that rely on their athleticism. Like like we saw with De'Aaron Fox, his first season wasn't all that great. But 
because he was going too fast, didn't want to use his speed, didn't want to be physical. I think I think Scoot just has too many too many God-given gifts for him to be bad in NBA. So I'm not too worried about it. I'm still keeping my my Scoot Henderson stock. I'm not selling it yet. Mm. All right, I got one more for you for disappointing teams or um, teams, blue ball teams as we call it. Um, maybe not so much. Actually, yeah, fuck it. I'll just put the whole team in, in on blast. But uh, they're still three and two, and they haven't been playing terrible. But when you talked about this team before the season started, and the expectations we had for them, and them being the team to beat besides the Denver Nuggets, and I think I know what team you're ta- I think you know what team I'm about to say. The Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks to me have not oh. played up to par as what we expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's Adrian Griffin, um, but something is wrong. They're 25th in the league in defense, and mm-hmm. you have two guys that last just last year were top candidates for Defensive Player of the Year. So to mm-hmm. me, if nothing's changed besides Damian Lillard, being in your in your front court and your back court, I understand you lose Drew Holiday, and we we knew their defense could take a hit, but not this much, not this much. And this I mean, team- you have to think about the scheme that the Bucks ran last year. They're, the Bucks defensive scheme relied a lot on Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. Like how, what how they would defend pick and roll was that Drew Holiday will hound ball handlers into the mid range area, and then force them shoot over Brook Lopez yep. or Giannis. And Giannis were standing, but now. Yep. Yep, but then you don't have that that point of attack defender anymore like Drew. Damian mm-hmm. Lillard is like we've been underrating Damian overrating Damian Lillard's off defense for years now. And right now he's getting exposed. He's getting picked on. He's he's getting the scoot treatment. But you also got he's Giannis and Brook Lopez. They're the the Bucks have them playing up higher. So I but it's like, yeah, okay, so you don't have Drew. You can still force them downhill. Like it's it's not why are Giannis and Brooke Lopez, why are people getting wide open layups with not a single seven footer in the key when you have two of the best defensive seven footers on the floor? Mm-hmm. Like, I think, why is Brooke Lopez at the top of the key? Why is Giannis standing close to the corner? Like, and you get a wide open layup. To me, that's just like yeah. something's got to click for them on the defensive side of the ball because I, 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 like, there is some struggles on the offensive side for Damian Lillard, especially. Uh, who's who's struggling? Only averaging twenty three points a game. Um, when last year he was just averaging thirty two, and mm-hmm. and you could say, oh, that was because you know CJ was gone. Um, for in the last four seasons, three of them he's averaged over twenty nine points a game, even with CJ. Yeah. And the one year he yeah. didn't was because he played twenty nine games because he was hurt. So Dame's going to figure it out offensively. I think Giannis is going to figure it out too, just because he's a fucking freak. But defensively, hopefully, and this is where I have li- less hope because you have a brand new coach and it hasn't been looking great so far. It hasn't been looking awful, but it hasn't been looking great. So if you want to win a championship and you you need to play defense, especially when you've got the fucking tools. I think something that's super concerning is Chris Middleton. Mm. Chris Middleton is only averaging 8.5 points per game, and he isn't shooting particularly well. He's not shooting good at all. 
He's not shooting well at all. And that was a guy that they were really relying on to get healthy, but doesn't it seemed like that this knee issue he's having is still slowing him down. Yeah. And one thing that's more concerning to me is the fact that Giannis accepted the fact that this is Dame's team, even though Giannis was drafted by the Bucks. I yep. think there's a little bit of power struggle going on for Milwaukee, both on the court and off the court. And we heard off the court that Adrian, I mean that Terry Stotts, who was Dame's coach back in yeah. Portland, he he stepped out. He resigned after a little argument happened at practice. And like this incident happening so close to the beginning of the season definitely has to affect the team a little bit. It, it definitely rattles and sure. changes. Yeah. Just seeing like a guy that Dame has his trust in just gone like that because I don't know when you play for a former coach and he's now on your new coaching staff, that's that's your ultimate confidant, especially in a new new city, new franchise. Maybe I don't know. Dame Dame is going through a lot. I also heard he's going through a divorce too. Really? <laughs> yeah, he's going through a divorce. Oh fuck! That's I mean, crazy. I did not know that. <laughs> that's that's actually really that's really sad, dude. Because he has children with her. Mm-hmm. And like, um, okay, now back to the basketball aspect of it. <laughs> like when when Dame <laughs> when Dame came to the Bucks, we expected his offense to be top tier, but this team. Is, is not even top 10 in offensive rating. They're 11th. The offense was not supposed to be a problem, but now it is a problem. I think a lot of that just comes from, you know, players still figuring out their roles and, I don't know, new coaches, coaches. Adrian Griffin has to find his coaching voice. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot more questions, but how worried are you for the Bucks? I'm not very worried. Unless Adrian Griffin turns out to be a fucking terrible coach. Like, but I don't, I just don't think you can get worse than Bud, but you know, please don't prove me wrong. Um, my thing is with the Chris Middleton thing, Chris Middleton is playmaking for them. He's making plays on the ball. Um, the only thing is he just can't shoot. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I'm not too worried about because shooters will shoot. They're going to be, they're going to have their slumps, especially a guy like Chris Middleton coming off. I think he had surgery right on his knee. So yeah. It takes time to to get that back, especially full full speed in game. You know, in practice, he's knocking that shit down. So you know, give him some time. Once Chris Middleton becomes a real threat on the offensive side, it would help everybody out. Damian Lillard will find his shot. I did not know he was going through a divorce. I knew he was going to find a shot regardless of that. But now that I know he's going through a divorce, yeah, man, like he's going to be missing shots. So I'm not worried about the Bucks. My whole thing about this, about being disappointing, is that we thought this team was going to be, like, the team to beat. Like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of almost, almost like, it's, maybe it's it's not reasonable for us to assume this, but we almost kind of assumed, like, right off the bat. And, yeah, right and no, that. there's obviously a transition period that, that they need to go through and figuring a lot of th- things out on the defensive side of the floor and on the offensive side, so... My biggest concern is the coaching because I know what these players are capable of. We see, saw it year after year, and these are stars. They have a, they, they, they don't lack stars. So um, it's just the coaching for me. But I'm not very worried. I'm not very worried. You're not worried, okay? What about you? Are you worried? I mean, we had. I'm. I mean, last thing that I'm going to be worried about. We kind of had a lot of overlap, but a little bit of disappointment is the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers have been a blue ball team for me. Now they they've been 
They've been without Darius Garland, but last year we saw them play without Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell being the primary ball handler, and they were fine. But they're two and four right now, and we're not seeing the steps that Evan Mobley is supposed to take. That's that's my primary <laughs> disappointment. And as a guy that's super high on Evan Mobley, I'm starting to worry. I'm I'm worried for Mobley, but I'm not worried for the Cavs. I'm worried that that maybe this is all he is. Just a Dude. guy that finishes a play. Maybe maybe <laughs> guy that doesn't have a go to offensive move has good I touch around it. the paint. I love all it. Right? But maybe he's not gonna be this this Kevin Garnett type of player that we thought he was gonna be. Maybe that's reserved for Chet now. I love it, bro. Oh my god. Finally. What? All right. We, okay, but Donovan Mitchell is a reason why I'm not worried about the Cavs. I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs because Donovan Mitchell is off to a hot start. So I'm not right. worried about the Cavs. So so don't but. get me wrong. I'm not an Evan Mobley hater. It's just this man, Angus, is just a fucking Evan Mobley glazer. And I was, I was my job is to just wipe off some of that glaze so he can see what's really underneath. Uh, because that boy... He was trying to tell me Kevin, he was the future KG. I'm like, bro, year after year, he has the I, same I fucking think stats. He might, I think he just might be big man OG Ananobi. His bro, peak. like you said, it, he's a good player for what he is. He does the things he does well. He rebounds well. He, he finishes inside. He has great touch in the inside. He can shoot that 10-foot, 12-foot midi sometimes, float it up. He has good touch. He, he can sneak in and get those offensive boards. He's a great defensive player. He's aggressive when he's playing someone smaller than him. Um, but, dude, he's no dog. So he's mm-hmm. a good player. And But then there's other things. Like, in th- in this day and age, he, wouldn't you consider more of, like, a small ball five than a four? I just feel like they yeah. have to play him because they have Jared Allen, and those bo- those guys both have to start. But it's like you're lacking so much firepower on in your front court when it comes to the ability to score because Jared Allen isn't going to do shit. He's a lob threat. And so is Evan Mobley. Max Struess, great pickup for them. Um, the fact that he's scoring like 26 points a game uh, and making a real big effort says a lot, but I think it also speaks a lot about the lack of depth on this team. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think that Donovan Mitchell is this, playing out of his mind, but it's because he has to. Yeah, he does have to. I mean, <laughs> no, no, not trying to trash on Dean Wade, but Dean Wade is not a rotational player in my eyes. Yeah. And the Why fact did they that get rid of Kevin Love, bro? Up, I don't know. I feel like Kevin Love provides a lot for what they need off the bench. They like, need, <laughs> I mean, Kevin Love's kind of that tough veteran now. It's crazy that I'm saying that because I remember 10 years ago, he's complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> but didn't they, they do exactly it like right? Didn't now. they do it like right before playoffs? Like it just made no sense. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, but I, I like that. The, the Cavs are definitely a disappointing team, a blue ball team for sure. You know you know who's our favorite blue ball team right now? <laughs> the Kings. You mean the Purple Balls? So, yeah. The Purple Balls. Jeez, that last night against the Kings was definitely rock against the Rockets in this early season. Rockets, hit, they, they hit us at rock bottom, all right? Yeah. One thing that I'm kind of realizing about this team is that the Kings needed to make some sort of upgrade this summer and they didn't. And last night it showed because without De'Aaron Fox, we were thinking that, that this team's going to have enough talent to suffice. We're going to have all this depth, but 
Only one of our starters grow, scored in double digits against the Rockets, and that was Harrison Barnes. And then Malik uh, Monk did all that he could. Yes, and it was such. It was just an atrocious game from the Kings. Uh, it was really, it was really bad. All just from start to finish, the starters played like garbage. The bench played better than the starters, but you know, the bench can't win the whole game. My thing is, mm-hmm. like you said, I, I with the re-signing of Harrison Barnes, I knew that any major move we were going to do was out the window, at least for the foreseeable future. Maybe mid-season mm-hmm. we make a trade. But I knew that we were going to start the beginning of the year with the same team besides our rookies and JaVale McGee, yeah. which who I might say he's, he's definitely a tall guy. But, bro, it's like the defenders don't even see him. It's just, God damn. Like, he just... He's just they're scoring over him easy. It's like he's not even there. <laughs> but his his defensive impact hasn't been what I expected. He does get yeah. a couple of like highlight worthy blocks, and he, his pick and roll game with Malik is is there. But he's not doing what he's not doing what I envision him doing for sure. I have um I have a couple takeaways for from you. Actually, I have I have a I have a take for you. Okay. Um. Let's hear it. I don't know if Dave. I mean LeBron. Uh, LeBron. <laughs> I don't know if Fox is going to be back next game. Um, so I'm just going to say, um, uh, within this entire season, at some point, this could happen, right? I'm saying, yeah. Malik will play at the starting one position at some point during the season. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And Davion will come off the bench. I think that's the way to go. Dude. I seriously think that Malik Monk has showed me so much to begin the season. Last year, I would not have been able to say this about Malik, but the way that he's able to run the offense with Sabonis, and you get the same exact type of uh, rim pen- paint penetration as you do with Fox, but you get this added layer of like, like the step-back threes, the pull-up middies. You get that with Malik Monk. Yep. And Malik and can play make. Yeah, and I think Mike Brown might have to strongly consider that for our next game against the Rockets because Malik Monk is the size of a point guard and our starters not being able to get into double-digit scoring until late in the fourth quarter is unacceptable and Malik Monk helps get the offense going. I mean, but when you start Malik Monk, you're going to lose a lot coming off the bench. Who's who's going to be running the offense off the bench? Colby Jones. Mitchell's Mitchell proven... I like that answer. I like yes. that answer because I like the way Kobe Jones plays. But he is um, very Davion is, is, composed. Davion is showing that he's not able to be the backup point guard that this team needs. Look, out of the he four takes, guards, and this might be harsh, yeah. Angus, but out of the four guards besides De'Aaron Fox and Chris Duarte, D- Donovan Mitchell, uh, um, Kobe Jones, and Malik Monk, yeah, Davion is by far the worst. By far, yeah, he is the worst. And I just don't know why he's starting. If that's the case, I understand why Kobe Jones isn't getting. He's still learning. He's he's you know he makes mistakes sometimes, but for the most part, he's definitely. I think he's better than Duarte. I'd say Monk, Kobe Jones, Duarte, and then Davion. Mm-hmm. But Davion for brings sure. that spark you need on the defensive side of the floor. One guy who should not be starting right now, Kevin Herter. My Ooh. God, is it I just want to. I just want to Kevin Herter. I just want to see this man make a three pointer. Like I don't think I've seen him make a one single three yet. Like it's mm-hmm. 
he started the season so hot last year and just right now it's just like what where are you bro it's not like fox leaving or fox being hurt has made him worse he's just been like this from the start of the season like just awful awful and we we love this player a lot but we're seeing a lot about him maybe this is just a sophomore slump but keegan murray may not be the player that we want him to be this season because in we're expecting him to be the number two and he's falling flat in the last two games. I think he's only in the last two games. He's only had 17 points while shooting two for 15 from three. And that's maybe, crazy. Yeah. We may be over. He led all rookies bit. in threes. I'm, I'm, but, I know I'm a little bit overreacting because we just lost to the Rockets who are, <laughs> who are supposed to be a bad team and they have Dylan Brooks and he was freaking taunting Keegan Murray and Keegan's my guy. But okay. I just don't like that type of softness from Keegan Murray if he's expected to be our second player. Mentally, mentally, I don't like where Keegan is at. He just doesn't mm-hmm. look very strong-willed. He's very strong-minded. Like He just gets down on himself and misses a shot. And they, Mike Brown calls the timeout and he hangs his head and he's like talking to himself. And it's just like, bro. Another thing is, you know how Mike Brown was saying... Um, you know, if you don't shoot the ball, I'm going to take you out. Yeah. I think, I think yes, that is good to encourage your player to shoot the ball, especially mm-hmm. when you want to create a guy like Keegan and building up, build him up into a star. The thing is, this guy is still young. You think about the shots he took last year. It was wide open corner shots, wide open shots at the top of the key, wide open within the flow of the offense threes that were created with, created for him. This year, it's a lot of, coming off screens and shooting moving threes, um, catch-and-shoot shots that are very contested that aren't even really open, honestly. Mm -hmm. And he's shooting them rushed, not very focused, because I think he feels like he has to. And to me, me it's like, if you're Mike Brown, you got to relay the message to, to be like, look, we want you to shoot the ball, but we need you to, you know, put the ball on the floor sometimes, you know? Play yes, like exactly like, like get your man get in rhythm you know put the ball find your rhythm take take control like create something for yourself instead of just forcing a three he's so much better than what I watched last night and it and to see I think what I really want to see is when Fox is out I want to see Keegan become the number one scorer the primary mm-hmm. scorer on this team and you're not seeing that right now and it's just he looks pretty far from it in fact so. It's kind of worrisome when it comes to Keegan's development. I st- I'm still high on this guy. Like we, like th- we may be overreacting, but yeah, I I know I'm overreacting, but I'm tired of seeing flashes of Keegan putting the ball on the floor. He had one play last night against the Rockets where he took Jabari Smith Jr. off the dribble and got a layup, but then that's all we saw. And then he had a couple of those against the Warriors. Against the Warriors, we saw that one play against Clay after his shot wasn't falling in the first half. But then after he mixed clay and got that layup, got that floater, he he stopped doing that. Like, I don't think Mike Brown wants him to shoot every time he gets a ball. I think Mike Brown just wants him to be aggressive and look for his shot. Yes. Because with with all that attention coming on Keegan Murray for three, that that opens up so many doors for the other players. Like, look at the way that the that you have to guard the Steph Curry and Clay Thompson pin down. You have two players going at one player at once. Teams are going to start doing that with Keegan Murray because he has that reputation of being a good shooter. 
And that's going to open up the game for so many players if Keegan is able to be strong with the ball. Yeah. He, he, yeah. We're definitely – he's still <laughs> we, – we're just overreacting. But Keegan, um, there are some concerns a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, but we're not overreacting with Kevin because Kevin, Kevin, he should have – I mean, I think that a lot of the weight from the last year's playoffs is weighing on him, especially yeah. with the way we, he's kind of like being thrown under the bus. Mike Brown will never throw a player under the bus, but it seems like Mike Brown is just hinting that Kevin Herter isn't doing what's expected of him. Well, he's not. You're, you're, he's not. You know, you're getting paid to shoot threes, man, and you're not making any threes. I think another thing that's kind of wearing on him is like early in the season, bro, you're playing the Warriors twice. This is the team that you struggled heavily against. You already played them twice, so that's not a great game to find your rhythm in. So I, I understand as a shooter, you got to keep playing this guy because hopefully at some point he finds his rhythm and then he becomes an asset to your team. Like just become like bare minimum, like 40%. You know what I mean? Like just as a shooter, you got to shoot like high 30s. Come on. But right now it's just looking really bad for him. Um, yeah, and it's not just that. It's the fact that last thing, last thing is that, um, you know, if he's not making his shots, what else does he contribute to your team? Not much. Not much. Like, I'm glad he's getting more rebounds now. He's getting more rebounds, getting on the boards, which is fine. But he's also getting lost on defense. Yeah. He's getting blown by Jalen Green. He's getting blown by by Dylan Brooks. And you can't put him on taller players because even though he has length, he's he's still kind of small. He plays very small. Yeah, I think um, I think a big thing with last night's game. I hate to be the guy that says we shot too many threes, but there was a possession in the fourth where I think it was Keegan shot a three, missed it. No, no, no. Sorry, before he shot the three. JaVale has a mismatch with Fred Van Fleet, and it's oh, four yeah, out. It's four out. So yeah. there's four guys and one, and JaVale is in the paint by himself, no help defense with just Fred. And Keegan shoots a three, and I'm like, okay, that was open. That's fine, right? Misses it. We get the offensive board. JaVale's still standing in the paint with Fred Van Vliet by himself. And we decide to shoot another three. And it's like, okay, yeah, analytics say you're supposed to shoot the three, blah, blah, blah. If he makes the three, it's worth more, blah, blah, blah. But, bro, get the easy bucket. Throw it down to the big mm-hmm. man. There's a six-foot-one guy guarding a seven-footer, bro. Like, just throw it inside. Like, I don't know. It kind of frustrated me. Some good takeaways from this game. In the third quarter, they didn't score for seven straight minutes. And mm-hmm. I don't know. They didn't. I don't know if that's m- more because we were playing great defense or more because the just Rockets fell the fuck apart. It could be a little bit of both. Regardless, we played I, great defense for seven minutes. They didn't score. Mm-hmm. We come back down from 17, and then we don't score for five minutes. So yeah. just- I mean, that that takeaway is kind of what I took away from our Warriors game, when our first game without De'Aaron Fox. There was a point in time where the Warriors weren't on their little run, but then the Kings, they steadied, they steadied the the water like um they played i think they held the Warriors scoreless for four minutes and they took back the lead they ended up leading going into the fourth quarter and that was like some resilience that i saw from the kings and probably the best defense i think i've seen from them since since the playoffs yeah we our defense looks better we look better as a team we make the better we make but, the better plays there's a there's a certain standard that i can expect from this team on a nightly basis mm-hmm. i think last because night we're though, a playoff team yeah 
and it's really good to see like it's really like it's it's new but it's at this point i expect it now and and it's because of mike brown so i love that but but just man we got to make our shots and i just think that maybe you know i understand you know i've seen clips of mike brown screaming at malik and it's just like okay malik is probably that guy that mike brown just can't stand sometimes because some things he does on the defensive side or his selfishness on the offensive side just sometimes even though it works out at times but I think if Mike Brown can just get a little bit more ex- experimental with the lineups um, and give Malik Monk extended minutes, that's my biggest thing, man. I want to see Colby Jones more. Uh, I saw Kobe Jones, you know, missed a play or something like that happen. And the, we call it timeout. And De'Aaron Fox, like, basically runs from the end of the bench to Kobe Jones. And it's just, you know, you know, mentoring him and, and explaining, him, like, no, nah, bro, you should have done this. And he just looks very animated, very excited. Very like, you know, like he cares a lot about the development of this guy. And he would only care if he believed in him. So yep. something tells me that th- we have something special in Colby Jones. Darren Fox sees it. We see it. Um, you see it in his play. He just looks composed. And I'm really excited to see his play. Yeah, I'm excited for Colby Jones. And like, I mean, going back to your thoughts about experimental lineups, I think one thing that's been holding us back from having a true five-out offense is the fact that Trey Lyles has been out. And yeah. when we play against the Warriors, when we put Trey Lyles at the five and Kevon Looney had to guard him, that opened up so much space for our attackers like Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox. So I think Trey Lyles can add a certain dimension to his offense, especially if we're playing Malik Monk, we're playing Keegan Murray, we're playing Herter if he can still shoot. And then what if we throw in some Sasha with Trey Lyles? Our defense is not going to be that good, but... I just want to see that type of experiment, a true five-out offense. See, see where that takes us. Yeah, I mean, at, at, at times, uh, I think it was game, what game six, we mm-hmm. we 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 did small ball and it worked out really well for us. Um, and then we yeah. kind of just didn't do it in game seven, which kind of pissed me off. But but yeah, uh, Trey Lyles, I didn't even really think about that dude. He's been hurt and he, he hasn't been playing. Um, definitely. Pl- definitely an asset for us and we're missing a lot of size maybe that's why Sasha's getting minutes Sasha's getting minutes yeah he's getting those Trey Lyles minutes but then I also think those two can coexist maybe but I think that it's like it's too much of the same thing in a sense Mm -hmm. it is too much of the same thing but um I, I think Monty McNair has a vision for this team and if he if he didn't want Trey Lyles to be part of this team, then he wouldn't have re-signed him because he knew he knew he was going to re-sign. He's going to sign Sasha. So I think yeah. Monty McNair wants because I think I like the I like the idea of having options because every team needs to have some sort of small ball option in this day and age. Yeah, so we need De'Aaron Fox back. We need Trey Lyles back. We need Sabonis to play like a fucking all-star. Please. Oh, my God. Please, Sabonis. Please. Please. Um, Yeah. You want to talk about anything else? Any notable? I think, I think for me, I think that's going to do it. I mean, I'm just excited to see James Harden play against the Knicks tomorrow. I'm going to see. Just watch a couple of games before we come back on this podcast to see to give you guys our first thoughts. Yeah, definitely the Clippers, some, a team to watch for sure. And the Kings when Fox gets back, or hopefully when he gets back. But, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for us, you guys. Week two of the season was um, great. Getting back in the swing of things, it feels great. 
Um, we'll see you guys next week, probably around Sunday, Monday. We'll figure it out, but we'll let you guys know. And yeah. Peace. Peace.